float the plates and lift the weights And we are mates and weights are great And as of late we pontificate about the weights And make a podcast! Sumo is cheating! This is Weekly Weights with Alex and Will Welcome to episode 44 of Weekly Weights My name's Alex Hayes and today with me is not Will Berkman Thank the Lord This is the first episode that Will hasn't been on and uh, it feels good. It feels good. But joining me today is uh, my good friend, Matt Bartholomew. So Matt's a powerlifter and a powerlifting coach from Sydney. So as a coach, he works with one-on-one and group clients um, down at Paragon in Artarman. Um And he's also building quite the team over the internet. I think he's even got some lifters overseas in uh, American Canada and stuff. And um, as a lifter, he is a 94 kilo lifter within powerlifting australia and world powerlifting he was the australian champion in the junior 93 class last year and then second place in the 94 open class last year he's also the oceania 2017 junior champion in the ipf pa's last ipf meet and um yeah thanks for coming on man pleasure and it's a pleasure to be uh, temporarily replacing the burko i hope i live up to the uh the hype <laughs> Hopefully you can ramble as much as he does. I'll do my best. But uh, cut out the, the, dad joke, the dad jokes, please. <laughs> so um, I brought Matt on because one of his philosophies as a lifter and as a coach has been building a lot in the off-season and using your off-season training to help with what you're going to do when you start to prep for competition. And this is something that Will and I uh, strongly believe in as well. So first of all, the first question I wanted to ask you and your opinion on was, what qualities are we trying to improve upon during our off-season that would be different to what we would be trying to improve upon um, during a comp prep? Well, I think, yeah, very much differently to during competition prep, we're moving away from some of those max, uh, max ends on strength development, or at least expression of strength and levels of efficiency in lifts. So we're looking at specific lifts such as usually the low bar squat, uh, maximally arch bench press, and then, of course, your uh, deadlift of choice during competition. And um, arguably, we're looking to complete these lifts uh, and get through workload as easily as possible, recover as best as possible, and end up on the platform you know, performing a maximal one rep attempt. When we look at the off-season, really we're trying to oppose a lot of those ideas. We're starting to get through work that is uh, harder in terms of the way we perform it, um, and ultimately move in a way that is arguably less efficient, and it's gonna help us actually build our bodies uh, and develop a level of work, recovering from that greater work, and hopefully getting back into following comp preps with more to give. So the idea of building a bigger base and then being able to work up much higher from that base. That's the general outline. So what are some of those general qualities that we would be trying to build more specifically? Like what are, what are the things that we're after? I think our two major things are work capacity and muscular hypertrophy. I think, uh, well, I know that with a greater cross-sectional area of the muscle, we have a greater capacity to express strength later down the track. Um, So again, that really comes down to, in many ways, building that wider base, Uh, those qualities being, one, getting through more work, uh, but two, actually building a more muscular body. What are the benefits of being able to get through more work? Being able to get through work, and speaking from experience, being in the middle of an off-season, is you create a level of contrast uh, to your competition prep. So it doesn't matter how much work you're talking in terms of tonnage or sets or whatever it might be, but if you're getting through vastly more work during an off-season and being able to recover from that, both just from a adaptation point of view, but perhaps also from a nutritional standpoint, then moving into a more intensity-based uh, period of training, uh, competition prep, I'm finding particularly, and I think that the main aim here is the contrast uh, means you're recovering better from relatively less work and your capacity to recover from work has improved so then being able to perform at the top end when it's asked of you during a given week is also improved that's what i think is a major part of working hard and improving work capacity is that ability to come back with more to give and also being able to recover from the same or even more work during a comp prep yeah so doing more work in your competition prep than you did last time yeah is going to be coming from the work that you've done leading into that 
Absolutely. Or even perhaps not doing a huge amount more work during a comp prep, but being able to execute at the top end with the momentum of the workload done prior. That's sometimes something that can be useful. So I can vouch for some of my lifters. Um, one example, Steve Hansen, who was pushed through a, a, a fairly fairly grunty 12-week work block, we'll call it, so an off-season block, before actually taking a little bit of time off due to a bunch of stuff going on. He's actually having a kid soon. Uh, he then shout came out, Steve. Shout out, buddy. He also he's competing this weekend at City Strength. Yeah, and he he then came back into a competition uh, cycle, so to speak. I think it was about ten weeks, and we actually have arguably done a little bit less, or right on the same amount of work during this competition cycle compared to last competition cycle. And what we're actually able to do is complete similar workloads, or a little bit higher on the top end, and have him complete those much easier, recovering much better due to the momentum of the previous cycle. What we're going to get from that is the ability to have better confidence at the top end and probably pick attempts that are even bigger than his last competition without necessarily having a bigger comp cycle. Mm -hmm. So I guess all this comes back to something that Will and I talk about a lot on the podcast is the broader the base, the higher the peak. Mm. And we're trying to build those qualities that allow us to have this wide variety of this wide base you know, more muscle, greater ability to get through work, um, greater ability to move in different ways, um, a greater resilience to injury, et cetera, et cetera. And those kind of things are going to add up to when we eventually do get into our comp prep and we do start lift, shifting some loads that are, you know, kind of reflective upon what we're capable of, we are going to be better off for it. Absolutely. And I think just to add on to that, picking your moments of specificity and picking your moments of completing the lifts which are going to be valid on comp day is important as well. And how long is it going to take that individual lifter to be able to perform those particular comp lifts optimally? And as a coach or as an athlete, knowing that and then implementing accordingly, because we all know that most lifters don't need 20 weeks of the low bar squat to perform a low bar squat well. A lot of lifters, again, I'll use Shane, uh, Shane. <laughs> Steve-o as, a, uh, <laughs> as an example, um, he's one of my lifters who has experienced a bit of thoracic outlet syndrome and shout out to the Melbourne Strength, uh, Strength Culture boys for helping him out, um, as well as the Balance Health and Performance lads. Um, he's doing well, but with that in mind, we have been dosing his low bars way less than I would for any other lifter. And he finds about four to five weeks of two times low bar enough to be able to perform the skill optimally. And there's a point of diminished returns after that point. Yeah. So what I'm trying to get at here is that you don't have to be completing maximal arch bench press, low bar squats, and your competition deadlift all year round to be very, very good at it on comp day. Absolutely. And I've even got lifters who can't low bar squat twice a week ever. Mm. And once a week for why? maybe... Why, why can't they do it? Just to niggle in the elbow or the shoulder and it just flares up and it'll affect how much they can bench totally. press. Totally. Super common, right? I've got, I think, three or four guys who cannot do low bar twice a week yeah ever yeah would you and say that's usually your bigger guys or no um no 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 not not the bigger guys um that's not a like correlation i don't cool. think cool um but yeah like it isn't necessary to to, to power lift all the time even in a comp prep like mm -hmm. you can get some great work done doing lifts that are further away from what you're going to do in the competition so long as it's similar enough and i think we'll get to that point later it's like making training more similar the closer we get to competition. But I want to talk more about the off-season now. And we're going to get through these questions really quick today because Will won't want to stop for uh, musical intermissions all the time. Because <laughs> he's not here. I can try. No, nah, we'll, we'll pass on it. <laughs> um, how do we go about programming for these qualities that we're after? So, you know, the, the uh, principles of training, specificity, volume, frequency, intensity, variation, all of those kinds of things. Hmm. How are those going to differ during an off-season block? Do you want to go through them one by one? Yeah, so I think in terms of frequency of your big lifts, and we'll call them competition-specific lifts, we've already really started to say that we're going to be reducing that. So that's that's talking your low bar squats, and as I've gone through already, maximum arch bench press, etc. And what we're going to start doing is, is pulling away completely, or at least m heavily reducing the frequency of those moves, because, again, the, the aims here... Uh, muscular hypertrophy, work capacity as our two pillars, I would say, and we're not necessarily going to optimize that by just continuing our comp lifts. So using the squat as an example, things we really want to do is start to open up ranges, increase time under tension, and increase overall volume inputs, so to speak. So overall work done, and we don't necessarily have to throw that 
completely to the wall in the first week, but we certainly want to see an adjustment of ranges uh, ranges uh, adhered to and uh, different bar positions and whatnot. So you might think of something like a high bar squat, individuals who can do them well, front squats. Um, something that's been a pillar in my program during off-season has been the, the hearty pendulum squat out at Lift Performance Center. And these are all examples of how we can mimic uh, and continue using the squat pattern and of course bending the knees and breaking through the hips um, it's a simple motor pattern and we can replicate that on a variety of different uh, pieces of equipment so my my advice would be to pull away competition specific lifts uh, pretty heavily and implement what I would call hero lifts into our off-season that are going to be our, our pieces of work. And for some of you there, there might be a belt squat. For some of you, it might be a pendulum or a leg press. But these are pieces of kit that are going to mimic the movement that you're still going to be doing on comp day without it being your low bar squat. So that would be the first thing I'd do in terms of frequency and things like uh, exercise selection. What were some of the other categories we're going to go through? Oh, let's just stay on frequency for a minute. Yep. Um, if we look at a comp cycle... You know, generally we're looking at two to three times a week of uh, the squat for the, for instance, yep. three to four times for the bench and one to two for the deadlift totally. for the comp variation. Yep. During an off-season cycle, what kind of frequency are we looking at for each of the three lifts? And does this, how does this change based on who the person you're coaching is? I think you can work pretty well off two on each. And I think that's always going to depend on how you control things like volume and intensity and what, what sort of demands you're placing on the body on each of those days. Um, but I think coming back to a baseline of two each is a good starting point. And then, of course, based on the individual, you, you might alter that based on needs or based on issues you might encounter. Um, but I think generally speaking... No, keep going. Generally speaking, um, starting from that point and having your um, variation implemented there, so say you're looking at uh, deadlifts twice a week, that may not be two conventional deadlifts for a conventional deadlifter. That might actually be a uh, conventional deadlift of the floor and then a block pull or, or RDL hip hinge. So you're still doing the same motor pattern, but you've increased that variation. Perhaps you've increased uh, overall rep output as well as perhaps tempo as well. Yeah, we'll get to the variation um, in a little bit. But yeah, that's what I was going to ask was um, how many times a week do we want to see the main lift as opposed to a variation? Okay, yeah, sure. I'd, so like the yeah. frequency of not just the lift, but mm. the main lift. Okay, so I guess that's a bit of a... So like, let's say if you want to squat two to three times a week, how many of those sessions would be the comp squat? Oh, oh I would say zero yeah. from from the... Yeah, that's okay. I understand from the that. outset? Yeah, yeah, I understand, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I would say for your squat, you'd be, for the most part, going back to zero. I mean, there's going to be exceptions to that rule, say on a, on, a, on a extreme beginner, which you're really still trying to teach how to low bar squat. But I'd say generally speaking, you can pull that low bar squat right away. I think for the deadlift, you want to include uh, your competition deadlift once per week still. And I think with a bench press, you would still be wise to include a paused bench press once a week. Um, outside of that, there's going to be some variations, yeah. Cool. So what about volume? So obviously powerlifting, we do nine singles in a competition, mm -hmm. very low volume. And when we prep for a powerlifting competition, our volume is often quite low. Yes. We're looking at sets of one to three, maybe three to five sets. Yep. Um, how does this change for an off-season period and how does it change for the three lifts relative to each other? Yeah, well, I think that um, when you're looking at a comp prep or off-season, volume and intensity as two pillars are kind of at the mercy of each other. So in an off-season period, your volume is your uh, dominant pillar. And really, you're bending intensity to ensure that you can keep pushing that pillar throughout off-season. Arguably, you're reversing that equation in a comp prep and you're pushing intensity or, or load lifted and you're really bending volume to ensure recovery is is um, prioritized so that when you come into competition, you can manage fatigue and ensure that a lifter is able to peak. That's the way I would look at it. Um, what was the back end of that question? Um, how does it differ lift to lift? So how much volume would we do in the squat or close variance versus the bench press or close variance versus the deadlift and close variance? Obviously, super, super varied between individuals and I think that having a testing portion during the early off season is very smart and actually seeing how much a lifter can manage on each of those lifts as an individual so personally i found that with the degree i was pushing um each of my lifts at early on we, we actually hit a wall quite quickly and we found that with the sort of rpe ranges we we're pushing into which is something we might talk about in a second 
that the volume work and i don't know why but surprisingly for me i was much more like knocked around by this volume work than some of my biggest comp prep weeks and so i found that i was able to hit sort of three difficult weeks before i needed some time to actually recover and it's maybe not the, an overly specific answer to that question because I think trying to give out like a sets per week or, or a kilograms of volume per, per um, lift is not the right, right way to answer it. I think it's very experimental. Um, there's always going to be starting points for sets per week, but again, that's going to be super relative to how much that lifter can handle. So I think my recommendation would be definitely a trial period where you do push quite hard and see, okay, where is my current capacity at? And then I'm going to work around that and push the edges of it and have a system during off season of, so for example, for me, three up, one down, a lot of lifters more like four to six, one down. Um, but that's going to be person to person. So yeah, that's, that's my answer to that question. I think. Cool. So you can tell me whether you agree with this or not, but I've found during, um, an off season is quite similar to during comp prep with regards to how much volume each lift can handle, um, compared to each other. So I've found the bench press can handle the most volume, particularly for someone who has a good technique and is efficient. Um, And I think that rings true from competition phase to the off-season. I think second would be the squat, um, and then third would be the deadlift. So I think, I don't know know whether you agree with that or not, but I think in that order, you're going to be able to get away with more to less. Yeah, I think looking big picture relative to each other, they remain fairly similar, and I think that's spot on. And I think one of the biggest things I thought that just sparked is one of the biggest things I think you need to observe when when looking at that ratio is, again, using me as an example, I'd probably slightly differ from that. I think that relative to comp prep even and relative to each other, my squat took a big leap in terms of the work I could handle this prep. And that was really based on my efficiency of movement and ability to stay injury free. Then I compare that to my bench press. I'm an individual who's experienced, you know, a couple of uh, tendinopathies and they come back and go away and that's something which we have to balance pretty finely with our volume demands and this is where it becomes super relevant to be aware of your lifters do's and don'ts and inefficiencies and prior history um, because yes it may well replicate comp prep time but once you really start pushing into some of those higher ends of what your body can handle that's where it becomes very interesting and you go okay yes your squat can generally handle this much but when you get to that top end of work in that third week okay what about that fine line did you push it too far did you pull it too far back could you take more next three week period and so it's just about hitting and being observant and then learning and adapting that's the off season and you can optimize by being that way yeah, we have to be very aware of the stresses that um, our body can handle. And um, most injuries are caused by too much stress, whatever it is, whether it be too much training volume, whether it be too much life stuff, whether it be too much load, whether it be too many loading weeks in a row. Um, so these are the kind of things we have to monitor. Yep. Um, if our lifter does start to get niggles, we need to have a look a couple of weeks back into their training and what has led to that moment and maybe yep. ensure that we avoid that the next time. Yeah, and I think as well, um, the biggest thing is not being scared of adapting and changing the plan when that occurs because in off-season, you have a lot of time, you know, so you have the you have the luxury of time, whereas sometimes it's a bit more stressful during a comp prep, you're five weeks out and you develop some kind of niggle. So the best thing you can do in an off-season is be super observant and actually think ahead and don't be reactive. So band-aid solutions things like that and just keep just keep on pushing keep on working isn't necessarily the right mentality you've got to work smart as much as you just want to work and just work hard and i relate to that you've got to work smart so having me having my coach andrew tang shout out to the man um shout out tang. super super important because he keeps me on a leash and he ensures that yeah i'm working hard but i'm able to work hard again next block and so that's super important so when you see things pop up you know speak to your athletes a lot communicate deeply and have them really really convey to you how they're feeling on a week-to-week basis and, and ensure that you're preparing not reacting yeah and that's um a good that's a good message to all the lifters out there listening um if you do have a coach ensure that you're communicating with them at all times because they're not going to be able to help you continue to progress if they don't know the full story so i guess communication is massive 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 in a coach to client relationship and it has to be something that's upheld at all times. And that includes the off-season. Because a lot of you guys out there will think, guys and girls out there will think like, oh, the off-season is not that important. It's not close to comp. You know, comp training is more important or whatever. And that's completely untrue. And that's when you're going to fall into bad habits and 
some issue is going to come up that your coach was unaware of and they're not going to be able to help you. So continue to communicate all, all the time, all the time, all the time. Totally. And just to touch on that as well, I think that the way you want to be looking at off-season to optimize it as best as possible is in every senses of the word, it is practice for your competition season. And this covers so many sports. Your off-season or your pre-season is your your capacity or your, your opportunity to improve yourself, yeah, physically, mentally, your relationships, your ability to communicate, your capacity as a lifter, your capacity as an athlete, you have time to actually mature and improve that. So you return to off-season, not the same person you were last, uh, sorry, return to competition season, not the same person you were, but an improved person, an improved athlete. And that is your coach coming along for the ride as well. Yeah, and you, you made a good point there relating to other sports. Um, all professional sports now have huge off-seasons which are more demanding than their in-season, um, which is preparing them for their in-season. And that's a good way to look at powerlifting. Um, the competition phase itself is actually probably the easiest part of part of the uh, prep. You're doing the lifts you like doing. You're not doing very many sets. You're not doing as much volume. Your accessory work is a lot easier. All of those kind of things. And that's been set up by all the hard work that you've done on the back end to lead up to that. So you may look at someone who's prepping for a meet and they're doing, you know, hitting all these big weights and you think, oh yeah, I want to hit all these big weights. I should hit all these big weights. And the reality is they've done all this work on the back end to allow them to hit all these big weights in their peak. They've they've done all this work to allow them to stay injury free under that load and to move the load efficiently and blah, 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 all the things we've talked about. And they've built the muscle to allow them to move the loads and all that kind of stuff. So we really have to start to think of the off season as just as important as the competition season. I think something else to touch on there that I draw similarities on is it's very similar to when you see someone do their first competition. I find as a coach, you're prepping them and you're definitely focusing more on technique than anything else. And as you're coming through a prep, often you build this wave of momentum because you're not quite sure where their abilities lie. And you sometimes end up getting to competition day and they totally sandbag and hit huge PBs and they've got way more in the tank. That's the best. That's super similar to someone who has worked their butt off in off-season and been super smart and compliant and adhered to their food and got their sleep and ticked off their one percenters every single day. They build this wave of momentum because they've been able to improve upon a lot of these physiological markers similar to that of a new lifter and they come back with an expectation of their last prep and they blow it out of the water and they have a really fun time because they're hitting lifts successfully and quite easily and as Alex touched on the comp prep becomes the most enjoyable and we won't say the easiest but if you compare in terms of effort in sets and whatnot the easiest part of your prep and you can do that if you put your head down in off season 100 percent. all right we've gone a little bit off track which is good because it means we've been making good points that's it well We've got no music though. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to talk now about variation. So we spoke about how we want to go away from the main lifts and why this is important. Um, what kind of variations are we going to look at for the main lifts and how do we choose which variations we use for the individual? So when we're looking at variations of the main lifts, so let's start with the squat. I think the biggest thing we want to do, let's say we're looking at a lifter who is low bar squatting in competition, we, we really want to look to oppose this idea and make that squat less efficient because of course we know we're reducing the lever arm in the low bar, making it literally easier to lift and so we want to just pretty much move away from that concept. The first variation that I would pick as a coach is a high bar squat. I would look to ensure that that uh, movement is more knee dominant, placing more stress on the quadriceps, um, aiming to, over a long period of time, grow that muscle group. Um, and then what you'll find is moving back to something like a low bar squat, you're gonna get a return on that work done because again, you're coming back to a more efficient movement. So that's one uh, variation of the main lift. And my second priority uh, would be to ensure that there is when we move to accessory moves, so not necessarily replacement of main lift, but into accessory moves, there is a squat mimicking uh, exercise where you can throw load. So a high bar squat can handle X, perhaps something like a pendulum or a leg press can handle X times 10. You know, So you're able to actually put weight on that machine, sit back and go for the ride, rather than have postural muscles fatiguing and have a cap on the work being able to be done. 
Now, secondary to a high bar squat, there are options such as front squat, safety bar squat, which enable athletes who perhaps do have these elbows and shoulder issues to have a really long rest. I found that after my nationals prep, my elbows still hurt on high bar squats for three months and I didn't touch uh, low bars at all. So I was doing a period of high bar safety for about four to eight weeks. I then changed to high bar, high bar for a similar period of time. I've only now returned to low bar for the last three or four weeks. That kind of plan, I think works perfectly. Cool. And um, what about the bench press and the deadlift? Yep. So when we move on to bench press, the first thing we want to do is, um, sad face, remove the arch a little bit. And that's with things such as a feet up bench press, which is going to not completely dissipate that that idea. We still want to ensure the, ensure the shoulders are in a safe position, but it does minimize the arch, open up the range, expose the pecs to a bit more range and loading, as well as take the leg drive out of the equation. I think this is a fantastic variation to include. And the second thing I would do, and it, let's say we're benching three times per week, let's say we have a comp bench, a feet up bench, we might look at something like a close grip bench press. And that means we're actually exposing one of the major joints of the bench press, the elbows and the muscles involved, namely the triceps, to more load and improving their capacity to push, quite simply. Coming out from that, your ability to uh, control your scapula and actually be active through your back in a feet up bench press, okay? more range, and then your ability to push better with your triceps, returning back to a comp phase. We, we all can see how that might help us with a competition bench press once we bring the foot, uh, the feet back into the equation and the big arch. Moving on to the deadlift, the first thing I like to do with my lifters is, is pepper in the other major deadlift if they can complete it. I like to do that as an individual because I believe that there are benefits from a core bracing control point of view, adductor usage, um, and this is through some various chats I've had with Tang. So I know Andrew likes to do the same thing with his lifters who can do it. The thing you've got to be wary of, and I would say particularly with conventional lifters, is don't just throw them into a sumo deadlift and assume they can do it, particularly if you have online clients. It's usually not the case, and I think that it's much rarer to have a conventional deadlifter doing sumo in off-season productively than to have a sumo deadlifter doing conventional deadlift productively. I would say that the vast majority of the time, your carryover from conventional as an accessory to a sumo lifter in comp is far, far greater. In some cases, it may serve you well to move someone into a sumo for a period of time who is a dominant conventional deadlifter. And I'd say the, the majority of the cases where that's useful is perhaps where you teach a flex pull on a Connie, where you might be able to get them into a more extended position for a period purely, again, for recovery, just like moving away from a low bar squat. It's a slightly abstract way of thinking, but that's something that I think is useful. Aside from that, if you're not going to do that, you'll be looking at either tempo adjustments, some kind of variation like a pause, or range adjustments like a block. So there's a few options you can take on here, and that applies to both your sumo and your Connie. Cool, man. That's a good answer. What about, um, you mentioned this in the bench press and actually in the squat too, um, lengthening the range of motion. Mm. So taking away the arch and using the feet up or, or the close grip bench or the high bar squat to, to full depth or the safety of the front squat to full depth. Um, what about in the deadlift? How do you think that increasing the range of motion can be productive in the off-season? Like, let's say, for instance, doing um, a conventional deficit deadlift mm. or a conventional deficit remaining deadlift or a deficit sumo deadlift. Yeah. I must admit, I haven't used a lot of deficit in my programming. I haven't had a lot of experience in deficit in my own programming. So anecdotally, uh, I can't comment a lot on its usefulness. I can imagine its usefulness, but you might be better person to answer that question because just frankly, I don't use it a lot. Okay, well, I think the, like we touched on earlier, the one of the big foundations for the off season is to build muscle. Um, we know that if we put the muscle through a longer range of motion, we're going to get a greater response from the muscle. So if we're able to use eccentric loading and a greater uh, range of motion in like a deficit RDL or something like that, that's going to be a, a great hamstring builder. Um, but as far as the deficit deadlift goes, I'm not a huge fan of it um, because it alters the starting position a little bit too much and it can confuse the lifter a little bit. So I don't love it except for as like a eccentrically focused totally uh, deadlift yep and now that you mentioned that style i have used the deficit as as that sort of style of of eccentric focus sort of romanian style or sort of hip dominant pull um that's so particularly good for someone with really 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 long arms like if we look at ask, potsy yeah. if we look at potsy for example yeah the pots shout out pots <laughs> um 
he's never going to get invited to the podcast. <laughs> he's not eloquent enough. <laughs> Fuck, he's going to roast me for that. Anyway, um, something 30, like Potsy. 39 and one, Potsy. 39 and one. <laughs> something like, someone like Potsy who's like, I don't know, he's probably got about a 6'2 wingspan. He's about 5'9". So like freakishly long arms. Um, him doing a conventional deadlift from the four, he's got pretty much no movement at his hip. So if he can stand on like two blocks and, you know, get a lot out of his hamstrings and really build <laughs> his posterior then he's Then he's doing a Connie like me off the four. Yeah, <laughs> then he looks like an, a tall person deadlifting or someone with short arms at deadlifting. But yeah, for someone like, like Potsy or I imagine Steph or someone like myself who has long arms, um, a deficit deficit deadlift as long as the back angle is the same as in your competition pool um or just a deficit remaining can be something that's super useful for building the the posterior chain when you don't get a lot out of your posterior chain when you deadlift because your rom's so short absolutely so i guess we could both agree that there's a fairly like sturdy baseline of of standard variations or ideas you'd implement on the squat and the bench press but perhaps you're just being a little bit more observant of um you know anthropometry with the um deadlift and you know for example something as simple as well what sort of position is this lifter getting into off the floor and would they benefit from having a greater emphasis on their post chain with a deficit or is it perhaps going to be uh killing movement yeah and a similar um discussion can be had with uh the squat if someone squats in competition in flat shoes um, and you give them a high bar and you put heels on them as well they're getting that extra knee flexion from just the high bar position and they're also getting the extra knee flexion from the shoes so you're giving them that extra knee bend to really hammer their quadriceps like far 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 more than in the low bar squat so that's a similar use of that extra range of motion for the right person gotcha and would you say that that's probably it's a random off-topic question, but in that case, would you say it's it's a frequent um, endeavor for you to actually ask for a different shoe for someone who does flat low bar squat in competition when you want them to be, you know, dominating that movement through knees? Yeah, I often do get my um, flat shoe lifters to squat in heels for their high bar work and their safety bar work. I don't program front squats a lot, um, but I'm not going to go into that. Um because I, yeah, I do want that extra movement at the quadricep. I do want that extra load through the quadricep um, because it's going to carry over to the low bar and it's going to take a little bit of range away from the hips, which is going to free up their back a little bit. And it's also going to take the load away from their glutes so they can use them more effectively when they're doing their higher volume glute work. Cool. That's a really interesting thought process. And would you say that the majority of the time you're giving that shoe change because they need the ankle range or because you'd like to put them in a thoughtless position or where they're going to take it anyway? I'd like them to like take it as far as they can and essentially hit greater depth too. So they're increasing not only the, the range of motion at the knee, but also just the, the total distance that the bar is traveling. Um, I think that's very useful because then when we take that away, and then when we go into the flat shoe and then we go into the low bar, they do. it feels like they're doing half the work. Cool. So guys, that's a little bit of an outside the box thought process. Think about, you know, your footwear. Think about the way you're lifting. How does that affect your mechanics and what are you trying to achieve during your off season? As you can hear, Alex's thought process is to put certain joints at a greater stress to ensure that later down the track, the capacity for work in those joints is better and easier when they move back to the competition lifts. They're able to also spare certain muscle groups so they can hit other movements harder and not be inhibited from their squat days. These are all thoughts that a smart coach, not to suck up to Alex too much, but a smart coach will think about and will go through in their mind and understand because this is what counts when you're accumulating work and you're doing similar motor patterns throughout a week. Yeah, and there are a few um, things we need to think about when, when prescribing something like this um, is can the lifter move through that range safely? So, you know, is their lower back rounding in the bottom of their squat? If it is, probably don't get them to squat to that to quite that depth. Um, and also, oh, what was the other one? Well, I'd say, I'd say an aspect there would surely be knee stress, that if you're going to put a lifter who doesn't normally squat in a dominant stance or a knee dominant motor pattern, and you're going to just put them straight into heel, straight into high bar, well, you're going to have to be careful with load management. 100%, yeah. If someone's going to, if someone's going to cop it through the knees, using that extra range of motion and you know in two weeks they start to get a little bit of pain in the front of their knee then you know maybe take that away but those are the things we have to consider and those are the things that are definitely worth trying um and the other actually the other thing i remember my second point now is um we want to only do this when we're a long way away from competition 
So we're going to gradually take these things away and bring them closer to the competition lift the closer that we get to the competition. So we might do a high bar and heels for eight weeks when we're 24 to 16 weeks out. And then we might go to a high bar, but we might take the heels away for the next four weeks. And then we might go to a low bar for the last eight weeks. Some some sort of stepwise process to get the, the variation closer to the competition variation. Totally. And it's not... Uh, it is, sorry, it is a smart idea to plan that out, guys, and actually have a season mapped out. Uh, in a lot of cases, you're adhering to principles which you will understand as a coach, and you can do that, you know, block and block to block and cycle to cycle. But for the most part, it wouldn't be a bad idea to really plan out a full off season and understanding, okay, what's the intention here, what's the intention there, and how is that relevant to my comp, and how far away am I? Absolutely. So you mentioned it just then. How far away are we? Mm-hmm. How long is a typical off season off season going to be? And how does this vary for the person that we're coaching? Cool. So I think the biggest variance comes from comp experience. One of the most valuable things for a new lifter is comp experience and exposure to competition. And also they're most likely in a position where they're able to uh, get a return quicker than a more experienced lifter who might have done more competitions. So I think as you become a stronger lifter and a more experienced lifter, the relevance of competition in terms of it aiding you as a lifter diminishes and the, uh, the potential or the requirement for more work increases or the time of doing work to get a return. So, for example, uh, let's say that there's a 93 kilo or 94 kilo lifter who can squat something like 280 or 290. You're going to find that that compared to someone who is a relatively new lifter who's only just squatted 100 might need to spend six, seven, eight months into an off season working and accumulating work. And to get a return of five kilos, right, it's obviously a relative difference versus that lifter who's just broken 100 kilos could just do a normal comp prep again and not actually do a formal off-season and get a return. So that's your major difference is does this lifter need comp exposure? Yes or no or in the middle or how frequently do they need it? Okay, cool. They're not heavily in demand for comp exposure right now. Let's dive into a four, five, six-month off-season. And I think that that marker of six months, that's a sturdy off-season that I think you're going to get good return on. Okay, I think you could extend that a little bit. And I think that a lot of sports uh, allow for that sort of four to nine month sort of period where they're working you know depending on the sport you know you're going to have seasons running in there from three to six months um and that makes sense to me in powerlifting as well and i think that sometimes off seasons are undercut and people call something an off season when it's really a reset period i think that's just as important too and something i'd like to quickly touch on is that if you just finished a competition week one of your next training cycle is not your off season week one of your next training cycle is you healing and resting and still recovering you are not into your work period yet and that's really really important to understand is if you're taking four weeks away from competition lifts and recovering and resetting you're not off seasoning yet okay so understanding that process and then beginning a period of off season i think is just as important to understand but to answer the question i think six months is a great marker for for most lifters and you can go above or beyond that dependent on again their their need for comp exposure i think is the big one and you mentioned the difference between that newer lifter to the more advanced lifter that newer lifter when they prep for a competition is going to look more like an off season than that more experienced lifter anyway so we're going to be continuing to make those muscular gains the technique gains um and the work capacity gains right the way through the prep because they're at that point where they're just continually improving exactly and i think your need for contrast as someone gets stronger becomes more important um so what i mean by that is contrast of volume demands and contrast of intensity demands you have a significant reduction in intensity demands during your off season for a more advanced lifter whereas as you've just touched on um really you're still maintaining reasonable to high levels of volume during even a comp prep for a, for a more novice lifter because they're really not reaching that peak potential yet and they're able to recover from these smaller loads that's that's really the the baseline mm-hmm. so let's go on to movement skill so obviously one of the huge things about being a powerlifter is how efficiently we can move so in our off season we're trying to create work capacity and we're trying to create musculature to help us move to help us move weight but we need to do that efficiently in order to lift the most weight that we can yes how important is it to maintain the skill of the main lifts during an off-season period and how would we go about doing this if it is important so i think there are a couple of um differing opinions on this i think there is a group of um people in powerlifting who who really swear by and to the nth degree specificity is key 
right? And I actually completely agree with that. However, I think what, what's missed sometimes is timing. The concept that specificity to the comp list is required to maintain a level of skill for the timing of competition year round, I think is a bit of a miss. My belief is that the time required to peak skill for competition is far less than what most people perceive. In saying that, of course, it's going to differ individual to individual, but I actually think that if you're going to do an off-season, like you mentioned earlier, don't be a powerlifter during your off-season. Be the best bodybuilder you can be. You know, Move into these new movements that are now your bread and butter, and uh, someone who speaks about this quite a lot is Jacob Skeppers. Shout out to the man. Don't marry yourself to low bar squats in your competition lifts. Begin to marry yourself to some of these movements in your off-season that are going to help you. As an example, I have married myself to pendulum squats this off-season. I have loved them because I know that loving them now will ensure that when I marry myself back to low bars, and I'm hopping around, when I marry myself back to low bars, I'm going to reap the rewards. And it's going to take me, and it has taken me, three, four weeks to become pretty good at low bars again. First week, I was pretty average. But by the third, fourth week, I was pretty much back to where I was. It might take me another few weeks, but by that point, I'm already working well. You know, I don't need to be perfect by week four. I need to be perfect by nationals. And I can do that, you know, with, with more and more exposure. So now I've just started doing two times low bar again. And I'm as good as I've ever been at low bars. And that, that, that took me seven weeks. You know, that's an example. It's going to differ, but that's an example. Uh, 18 weeks off, seven weeks back into it, and I'm back to where I was. Absolutely. Um, do you think there's merit to keeping the the main lifts in loaded very very light just to keep that skill going for someone maybe for someone who is less I guess technically proficient I do think there's merit and that's where it comes into the case by case and I think that having days where you perhaps are peppering in say a low bar squat that yeah is loaded heavy enough that it's at that minimum effective dosage that they're adapting to that skill and understanding, ah, this is how to low bar squat, at least a baseline and at least keeping that skill alive and then perhaps moving into some of those variations we've discussed in the same day. I think that's a great methodology, but I don't think that's a necessity. I think that's like you might pick out lifters who you go, hold on a second, it's taking me a bit too long to get you back into low bar squats when you're in comp prep. Let's keep it there. Let's keep it alive so we're not completely rebirthing this movement when we come back. So I think that when you identify that, you could definitely do that. And that could apply across all of your lifts. I think there's merit to um, keeping in a very light variation of the main lift and in particular something that is tempo related, particularly for the squat and the bench press. The deadlift is the easiest technically of the three lifts. So I think you can go um, entirely away from, from the comp deadlift. Um, but for the squat and the bench, I think it's nice to keep that movement happening, um, you know, in a variation where you can specifically limit load to the point where it's like very little fatigue um, and it's keeping that skill there. So something like a tempo bench press or a tempo squat yep. um, in the in our full competition setup. So low bar squat with a belt or our um, full arch bench press with a tempo. But it's so light that it's not adding extra fatigue and you're still able to get all this work in that's actually going to help you create all the things that we've been speaking about during the off-season, but still keep that skill there. Um, I'm not married to the idea, but I do like it. Yeah, I think that's the key. What you just spoke about there is the idea of balance. I think that this is probably a generalization, but I think a lot of coaches and lifters, if they're doing their comp lift, they want to do it heavy. They want to do some weights, you know? So I think understanding that you don't need to do that, and in fact, you might be shooting yourself in the foot if you do that, is important to understand. And the balance you're looking to strike is one, again, that is minimum effective dose from a skill point of view, because too light is not going to help your lifter. In the middle, somewhere where they're able to actually feel the weight and move through the motor pattern under reasonable demand is important. However, the overall weekly load you're throwing at them is not enough to impede on any of the other work you're doing in off-season, and all of a sudden you're killing two birds with one stone. Definitely. And that's a smart methodology if you can pull it off. 100%. All right, we've got one last question, and then we'll get into some quick-fire questions to finish off. I want to talk about um, mindset during off-season training. And I want to know how your mindset as a competitor changes when you're not continually faced with the competition lifts themselves and the challenging loads during competition prep. How do, how do you attack your training and how does your mindset change in this phase? 
I think that um, this is a really good question. I think one that I actually get asked a lot um, because, to be frank, um, I enjoy my off-season just as much, like just as much as my comp phases, just as much as competition even. I mean, I I definitely enjoy competing more than anything, but off-season to me is thoroughly enjoyable and that's a weird thing for some people to hear. I hear a lot of um, off-season, boring, or all these sorts of things, right? What it comes down to, I think, is an intrinsic uh, capacity to relate this work and its importance to the things you love. So you're understanding that the work you're doing now is paying forwards and that what you're doing is you're really ticking off one percenters that are going to accumulate over time. And I'm a big person on this one percenters idea. So for me personally, the biggest difference between competition, where of course, if you're a competitive athlete, your focus is on, yeah, yourself, but also beating your competition. That's the black and white of it. You're not beating anyone in off season. You're preparing to, but you're not directly beating anyone. The biggest thing you can do, the best thing you can do, in my opinion, is truly begin competing against yourself because you're trying to outdo the shitter version of yourself. So the person who isn't going to get a consistent eight hours sleep, the person who isn't going to hit their macros, the person who isn't going to rock up to every training session of off-season and actually put in. Your ability to push on beyond that shitter version of yourself is a motivation and a capacity for you to continue working hard during off-season. That, for me, is a big one. It's like, am I optimizing every moment of my time? And if I'm not, do I deserve the fruits of any labor? Do I deserve to do well when it comes to comp day? And that's just intrinsic. And I think that um, you can build that. And I think that it's important to think that way because, again, sometimes off-season is despised. Um, The second thing, and this is a more coach-related thing. um, So I work as well as with Andrew Tang. I work on my nutrition with the Flex Success team, particularly Dean McKillop. If you guys know him, the guy is a legend. And um, he's taught me a lot about eating and a lot about performance. And something he implemented with me at the beginning of my off-season, which a lot of my close friends have now also implemented, is using a diary or a journal with your training. The purpose here is you can begin to record, review, and connect with yourself. Um, Write down whatever you like that will help you complete your work and complete it with intensity. So being able for me to reflect on previous work on a particular hero exercise like a pendulum is so deeply motivating in individual sessions that that's the kind of thing that pushes me through my off-season. The other thing I like to do in my journal is, is actually diary a little bit and actually write down what I feel, what I want, how I'm going to get there. And I begin to become my own motivation and mentor in that regard. And I think that's more important than anything. Extrinsic stuff comes and goes. It's super fleeting. Intrinsic, during off-season, it becomes a test of your character and a test of your commitment. And if you're going to go into comp phases and behave a certain way, maybe try to behave that way during your off-season too. You know, because that's a showcase of like, I'm, I want this, I'm committed, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You don't just drop that when you go to off-season. Arguably, you want to continue all of those things. So that's my that's my sort of input on that. This relates to a um, quote which Amir Fazeli uses all the time. Shout out to Amir, episode two. Go check it out if you haven't already listened. Yeah, boy, early days. <laughs> the, old, um, the old recorder with no microphones. What do you num- remember that? What number was my, my last one? I think you were four. Yeah, somewhere there. I didn't mention that earlier. You're the third yeah. person to be on two episodes. Yeah, boy. <laughs> well done, bro. Um, yeah, something that Amir mentions all the time is um, don't be upset with the results you didn't get from the work you didn't do. Simple. And that's super, that's super important and it relates a lot to the off-season is crea- creating an importance for the work that you're doing and understanding that the work that you're doing during your off-season is going to allow you to be better when you get to your competition prep and that's something that we've obviously spoken about for the last hour um, but it's extremely important to to switch your mindset and to think that way otherwise you won't be able to do the work as as you want to and don't get me wrong guys i i do strongly believe that there is an intensity during comp prep that doesn't and shouldn't exist and is unhealthy to exist all year round because if you're truly committed to your sport and truly committed to being competitive, there's, there's a fierceness in comp prep. There's a focus in comp prep that's different. And that's great and that's fine and I fully support that. But I think that your behaviors and your consistency of behaviors is what really, as Alex just mentioned, puts you through that work and gets you into that spot where you are deserving of results. Yeah, there's an intensity and a focus that goes into like one one moment, right? It's one rep or one... 
you know, it's, it's, it's focusing on that one technical aspect or it's, it's, you know, it's that, it's that one set versus in an off season, it's a different focus. It's a, it's a, you know, add up these little things, do this set perfectly, do this set perfectly, et cetera, et cetera. It's actually more work, but it's less demanding, I guess, per unit of work. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. And just to sort of cap that idea off too, when you're comparing your comp phase to your off season, uh, your intensity and your focus and your drive, um, yes, in your off season, it's work related. Yeah, there's technique in there and yeah, you're focused on technique to a degree and arguably it's a time where you can change technique without negative impacts and you can trial things. But in comp phase, you've done the work, things become a little easier, so to speak, but your focus is execution, skill, finesse, getting close as you can to perfection, so to speak. And so, yeah, that's where that intensity of focus changes. Yeah, if your intensity drops off in an off-season phase, you can still kind of grunt your way through the work, and that's okay. But if your intensity and your focus drops during a competition prep, you could miss a lift or you could hurt yourself. So it's a, it's a different kind of focus and a different kind of intensity. Um, I, I had one more question. So do you consider the work in an off-season phase to be of equal importance, greater importance, or lesser importance than in a competition phase? I guess we've kind of touched on it, but yeah. yeah. I think my I think my gut feeling is that it has a slightly greater importance, the work, in relation to your success of a competition phase. I do think that um, when it comes to how important is it to the lifter and how important is it to the coach that you execute in both those phases, they're of equal importance. But I think in the grand, yeah, in the grand scheme, and we look at other sports as well, and you've touched on it too, is that the work done in off-season wholeheartedly drives the end season and i think that i'd stand by that agreed 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 all right let's take a quick break we'll be back with 10 quick questions <laughs> welcome back to episode 44 of weekly weights here with matt we're back we're gonna do a quick q a well not really q a but matt will put up on his story some questions for his followers to ask about off-season stuff so yeah we just wanted a quick little thing at the end where we could answer some common questions we've we've picked five um, we're going to let you guys know who asked the questions and what the question was. So we'll start off with Postman Potts. At Postman Potts. Yes, Postman Potts, serving the country. Uh, he asked, do you think top sets are a useful tool for off-season training? And Alex and I have discussed this a little bit, and we're, we're, we're a little bit torn on whether we think that these are hugely useful for off-season training. I certainly think they are less useful in off-season training than in your competition phase but how useful and why you're using them is really important for my lifters and in my particular use of uh, top sets the biggest reason i'm using them is for uh, an expression of strength and an indication of where a lifter is at in their prep and how they're looking at the top end uh, rather than necessarily building strength or building an ability to work which is obviously our intention in off-season so whilst you could include sets that are classified as top sets as we discussed just before you could perhaps do something like a two by five which is heavier than a following uh, two three or four by eight or ten you know you could do some pre-volume work that is heavier but i wouldn't be calling that a formal top set and i wouldn't be including it as a pillar in your off-season training yeah i think the biggest takeaway with that is that your time is better spent not lifting heavy weights with competition specificity in mind so as we've spoken about for the last hour, all of the reasons why we train an off-season and extended off-season period is to take time away from these main lifts and improve other aspects of our lifting, whether that be our, our muscular hypertrophy, our work capacity, our resilience to injury, etc., etc. And if you just keep these top sets in, if they are heavy enough and if they are truly top sets, you're probably wasting your time a little bit. One more thing to touch on there is that the essence of off-season uh, is that to a degree you're de-skilled from your main lifts and as you get closer to competition you're aiming to not only peak your strength and your, your performance but also your capacity to perform skills. So the odds of you actually performing some genuinely heavy top sets well is probably pretty slim in an off-season in comparison to your competition phase. So you're risking not having a good time and potentially hurting yourself too if they're heavy enough. And this ties into something that we see all the time is when people try and max out mid-off-season off cycle. It leads to one of two things. Either they're really disappointed because they're not prepared for that weight and they lift something that they, you know, have done in the past or 10 kilos less than something they've done in the past because, you know, they're not prepared for that. Or the other thing that happens is they could get injured. So make sure that when we do the off-season, we are focusing on the work that is going to get us better in the off-season. All right, looking at our next question. Uh, this was asked by 
Govanig23. He asked, what's the single most important overlooked aspect of off-season training? Now, I think Alex and I can probably just give our opinions because they may differ slightly, but I think the single most overlooked aspect of off-season training is mindset. And as I've talked about during the podcast today, the capacity to understand that your efforts now are going to pay forward later and having that level of commitment and discipline to do the work that's needed to be done. That's what I think is one of the single most overlooked aspects of off-season training. What about you, Alex? I think the most important thing is giving yourself enough time. Um, I think too many people will go into, they want to do three or four competitions a year and they call their off-season the first four to six weeks of their competition phase, really. And um, you're not really giving yourself enough time to develop those qualities. Things like work capacity and muscular hypertrophy take a long time to actually develop and they take longer than the skill aspects. So realistically, you should be spending more of your time training not like a powerlifter than training like a powerlifter if you want to be a good powerlifter powerlifter <laughs> good point good point <laughs> um but yeah i think i think you really needed to to um set yourself a long time to to make these adjustments and make these improvements because the shorter period that that you take the the less um return you're going to get back from from this phase when you go back into a comp into a comp style phase totally all right question Next question. Three. <laughs> From at Scarlet Shine. Shout out, Scarlet. How do you move forward with the lack of enjoyment slash not being motivated during high volume training during off season? So I think the crux of this question is pretty much asking, you know, off season training isn't necessarily enjoyable for everyone. It's not necessarily going to be highly motivating. How can I get through it? You know, and that's a fair enough question to ask. I think one of the biggest things and best things you can do as a lifter, as a human being, is understand why you train. You enjoy training. You hopefully do because that's what you've made a big part of your hobby, life, and the sport of yours. Reflect upon that initial enjoyment and try to come back to those roots and stop identifying yourself so much as a powerlifter during this time. Enjoy your training. Set yourself up with good habits potentially train with friends, make it social, um, even small things like having a good a good music playlist you can you can use during training sessions, or all little things that can get you excited to get under the bar and not make it a dread or not make it something which is like, oh, I've got to go to the gym. Have a routine, have a thought process, um, return to old thoughts and, and, you know, initiations of your training that can help you understand or experience the day-to-day and don't get too caught up in well i'm in a nine month off season or a six month off season enjoying your day-to-day and your week-to-week with those various tools is how i would go about it yeah i think also just understanding the importance of the process and how off-season training is such a big part of the 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 picture of power of, of a good powerlifter and if you understand that and you're able to have the foresight to to realize the importance of it then you should be able to put your time and energy into making that enjoyable because if you really do enjoy being a strong lifter and you enjoy lifting heavy weights you need to enjoy what's getting you to that point and um another another great way of doing this is like like you mentioned earlier having a little notebook write down your sets and reps set yourself little rep goals for your accessory work keep yourself progressing objectively not just like oh this works helping me like keep yourself progressing objectively through those accessories and maybe even something like like scale weight as well. Yep. If that's a big goal for you is to put on some size, put on some muscle, track that. Have a goal. Have a goal with your accessories, etc., etc. You can have goals in your off-season just like you can have goals in your in-season. Absolutely. And just to cap that out, I don't think or I, I think it's the wrong way to go about it to assume that every good lifter just naturally enjoys their off-season. They, they, they naturally put these methods in place, which leads to them enjoying their off-season, but it isn't just a, a, a picture of them just walking into off-season and there's flowers everywhere and everyone's just having a great time. Rainbows and lollipops. Right? It's not the way that it necessarily goes. So you've got to actually implement methods and work with a good coach that can keep you moving day-to-day, week-to-week. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Question number four. Question four. Saha Coaching asks, if you miss a lift or rep target, do you move on or lower the weight and make up the volume? It's a good question, but I think if you have a intelligently designed uh, program which incorporates RPE targets, rep ranges that are big enough to cater for potential fatigue or accumulation of work, you're not going to encounter this problem very often. 
if you do encounter this problem, you've hopefully got an understanding of why it happened, which may be some lifestyle factors like sleep or stress, or perhaps you've got training sessions that are impeding upon one another. And this would mean you need to probably make some adjustments, otherwise it's just going to happen again next week. If you can't put your finger on why, my advice wouldn't be to try and make up the work. My advice would be actually to move on from that session and do it better next week. Yeah, I completely agree there. Every day can't be your best, the best training session of your life. It's still recording. Sorry. Computer just wigged out. Yeah, boys, we're good. Um, yeah, each day is not going to be the best training session in your life. And that is part of the training process is just realizing that. And if you aren't able to hit the reps that you're supposed to, that's okay. Write it down. Write down what you did. Write down how you felt. Maybe you didn't get enough sleep the night before. Maybe it's just the accumulation of work from the last month and maybe it's time for a deload. Those are the little things that we can use to create a picture of what we need to do moving forward and how to... How to adjust moving forward so that this doesn't happen again i'll give an example in my own context and i i shed some light on this earlier on asking or saying explore and and find out where the walls lie and then uh, adapt and plan accordingly so in my first big block of the off season i was hitting some pretty big high bar squats for me and hitting some eights and tens and twelves and i think i got to the fourth or fifth week and i was coming in to repeat the load from the previous week which was a big pb to hit it for one or two more reps there were sets of 10 or 12. I think I got to yes, rep 5 six, yeah. or 6, and I was losing the plot, and I was going to get injured if I tried to push for the rep target. That sucked. That was disappointing. Did I take any backward steps? No. I learnt what I was going to do for the rest of my off-season, and it was incredibly valuable. So it depends how you look at these supposed failures. Uh, don't always try to fix it in the in the moment. Actually, you know, then plan forward so it doesn't happen again. And another another point on that is, um, you use use loads and use rep ranges where you're always able to hit the reps for your main work, and like you can obviously have a range that you'd like to work in. But I think keeping a couple of reps in the tank is probably the best way to train when we're in this phase anyway. So you shouldn't really be going RPE ten all the time. Mm. And if you do, save that for the last week of your block before a deload or before an intro week again. Yeah, and, um, I think and for the accessory work, I think having ranges is a better idea and pro- uh, tracking your progress through those ranges. Absolutely. And I think you can definitely afford to work to these higher RPEs with your smaller movements that are not as impactful on your system as a whole and aren't going to cause as much damage or fatigue or breakdown um, and are going to be safer to perform to these higher RPEs. So I definitely agree with that point. Cool, 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 cool. Love that. Last question? Last question from, and Alex is going to pronounce this one. You're throwing me under the bus here. Thulang, Thulaningapara. Yeah, lads. Sorry for that, fam. Sorry for the terrible question is, general periodization during off-season, i.e. Hip, hypertrophy versus strength blocks, length exercise selection. Cool. So, guys, we've answered a fair bit of this, but I'm just going to just run through a little response I've written. It's quite short. Um, Just my general thoughts is to roughly cut your off-season in half. You never really have to completely train for hypertrophy or completely train for strength. There are just increased or reduced focuses. So, I'd encourage you to have your first half of your off-season to be dominated by hypertrophy work and the second half of your off-season to have an increased presence of strength work allowed by slight adjustments in volume. Obviously, this is a big comment to make and it's going to be adjusted from person to person and dependent on the length of this off-season, but that's my general answer to how you would periodize and periodization tends to take in a full season into account. Um, That's my general sort of black and white advice. Yeah, I think um, splitting the off-season again into more blocks is the greatest way to go about it as well. And I touched on this earlier. Um... We want to be as far away from the competition lifts as we can at the start, and then we want to gradually build into that comp specificity as closer that we get to the competition. So it might be you are further away as far as exercise variation goes, and then it gradually comes back to um, to competition-specific. Like I mentioned earlier, high bar and heels to high bar and flats to low bar and flats. Like those three distinct blocks where you're changing something closer to Uh, the competition phase and that could be done for rep ranges and for sets and for everything so you know you might start it with 12s and then 10s and then Mm. 8s and then 6s so you're always having that stepwise 
approach to from off season to comp prep. It's not just off season for four months <laughs> and then on season for yeah. for two months. Next like, week you're just doing like low bar twice a week. It's a transition. Yeah, yeah. we're not going from from high bar tens in heels at fifty five percent to the next week doing three by five at eighty percent. Like it's there is, there is yeah. a there is a transition there in in everything that we do in in exercise selection in in frequency in volume um, in intensity and I guess that's the take home message here totally and I think all these questions we're giving guys as we've been sort of prefacing them with that individual to individual we cannot stress this enough they consistently change um, and you just got to be observant that's the biggest thing you know observe understand the principles and adjust accordingly but undoubtedly understanding the big picture ideas when it comes to off season when it comes to mindset when it comes to how to structure your training frequencies and selection of exercise a lot of what we said holds true to our belief and to our experience but as always there are adjustments so just stay awake that's it stay woke fan yes fucking hell <laughs> All right, well, we're that, so white man <laughs> but that wraps up episode 44 with matt on off-season training. Matt, before you go, you've got one last job. Um, tell a joke. No, I'm just kidding. Um, t- <laughs> tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Easy. So, Instagram's underscore Matt Bartholomew, um, and that's pretty much the sole platform I, I um, focus on. Uh, so, hit me up there. Uh, a lot of my lifting's out there. I occasionally post stuff about my lifters, um, but yeah, mostly just my own lifting. So, if you want some more insight into off-season training, it's happening right now. I'm uh, more than happy to offer insight uh, publicly on my stories, but also just pop up and ask a question. I'm always happy to answer. Cool. Thanks, Maddie, and we'll chat to you next week. See you later.